Take your Bibles, please, and we'll go to Daniel chapter 10 this morning. I've entitled the message, Jesus's Triumphal Entry into Daniel's Presence. And as we've been singing, praise him, praise him. We're here to praise Jesus. He is the one we want to see, even in Daniel chapter 10. Be thou my vision, we sang. And we pray, my prayer is that this message, as Daniel's prayer led to a very personal experience and vision of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to have a vision just like Daniel, but we can see Jesus with eyes of faith, just like Daniel. May our eyes be open to Jesus. Daniel chapter 10, if we could just read verse 6 together as we begin today. His body also was like the burl, his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this moment. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And may we say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I live my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your... Yes, Lord, we want this to be sweetness even to you and to each one who hears today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So on this Palm Sunday, we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. He entered into Jerusalem and he was presented as the Messiah, as the King. For his people in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, behold, a king comes to you. So he was fulfilling scripture. And as Daniel was praying for these 21 days, incredibly, this Jesus appears to Daniel. And so in a sense, this is the triumphal entry into the very presence of Daniel. Daniel had been praying for 21 days. The first day he prayed, guess what happened? From his mind. Guess what happened in his world? Nothing. How about the second day? What happened after two days of praying and fasting? What did Daniel see? Nothing. But something was happening. In the spiritual realm, from the first day he was praying until the 21st day, something was happening. So never be discouraged from prayer. You know, prayer can sometimes be discouraging. A lot of people may say, well, I've already prayed And that that just didn't work out for me. Don't stop praying. The devil wants to discourage you from prayer. Don't be discouraged from prayer. Not only was Daniel not discouraged from prayer, but he put away all the distractions in order to seek God with all of his heart 
in this passage of Scripture. And we must pray because Satan delights to defeat you from prayer, to discourage you from prayer. He delights in that. And that will lead to anemia, (laughs) spiritual anemic Christians who do not pray. And families that are broken and churches that are dying. So we need to pray. Our church needs to pray. That's why we have a prayer meeting, by the way. Come to prayer meeting, either in person or on Zoom, whatever you can do. We don't just have a prayer meeting just because nothing else to do. No, we have a prayer meeting because it's the most important thing a church can do. And we need to pray. So here was Daniel, well into his 80s, but still fervent in prayer, broken, burdened. You see, Daniel has lived in this pagan city, this immoral, idolatrous city, for 70 years. How could he live in this place for so long and still be faithful to God? How? By the word of God and prayer. Those are the two essentials, to live for God in pagan cultures. And we're in one. (laughs) So last week we spoke about Daniel seeking God and how prayer meets life's greatest challenges. And we have a lot of challenges in life. You have challenges in your life, so pray. And, and prayer makes us greatly useful to God, so pray. And then we said last week that prayer moves the great God into action. And so here we really see the Lord working upon uh, in, in Daniel's life and bursting into his presence. So... Think about this now. So on the, in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had been praying for 21 days, and it says he was by this great river, Hiddekel. That's the ancient word for the Tigris River. Now, Daniel probably worked in Babylon, and the Euphrates River is what ran through Babylon. But this was the Tigris River. He could have been as close to 35 miles from Babylon. So why was Daniel away out of Babylon at this time. We don't know whether he wanted to get away from governmental duties to just seek God. Sometimes you need to just get away, right, and take a retreat. Maybe that's what he was doing, or maybe there was government responsibilities that led him out of Babylon. We don't know. But we do know, though, he was for 21 days seeking God. I kind of sense that he he just wanted to get away from normal life and just get alone with God for that period of time. So he was by the Tigris River, And all of a sudden, again, at this late stage in his life, he was not done seeing great things. And he sees perhaps the greatest thing, the greatest one he has ever seen in his life. I believe he sees Jesus Christ, a mighty messenger from heaven skipping across the Tigris River, triumphantly appears into his presence. And we're going to look at who this glorious being is, but... That's in verses 4 through 9. But the, the vision so struck Daniel that literally he, he just fell down and went into a deep sleep when he heard this heavenly messenger speak. That's what it says. He, he went in on his face toward the ground. And then verse 10, if you look at verse 10, what are the first two words there? And behold. And if you go back up to verse number 5. What do you see? You see those two same words in verse 5? It says, and behold. So there's something else going on in verse 10. There's a break in the action. 
in verses 4 through 9, he sees this heavenly messenger, and behold, he sees Jesus. We're going to show you that. And now in verse 10, he go, verse 9, he goes into a deep sleep, and then, and behold, a hand. It seems it's a different hand. It says a hand, not the hand of the one he was just talking to, but a hand touched him. And he put a, was upon his knees. And by the way, there's another break in verse 16, where uh, uh, whether it's the same angel that's talking to him here or another angel, it's, it's hard to sometimes discern exactly what. But in verse 16, it says, and behold. So there's another and behold there. Anyway, what happens in verses 10 through 14 is there's a high ranking angel that comes to Daniel. And he says, I have we have heard your prayers for these past 21 days from the first day that you prayed. And chastened yourselves before God, your words were heard, and I am come now for your words. And look at verse 13. He says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. That's a fallen demonic angel, an emissary of Satan stationed in the territory of Persia under the authority of the devil. This prince of Persia is not an earthly king. He's a spiritual entity, a fallen angel. You say, how do you know for sure? Well, look at the last three words of this chapter. What do they say? Michael, your prince. So the princes are referring in this chapter to the angel spirits. So here's a demonic fallen angel, and he was there in the he he was in Persia trying to influence the the, the going on of the kingdom, and this angel was there fighting against the prince of Persia, and he couldn't get away to go to Daniel. He couldn't get away. He was in a spiritual struggle until who came to help him and release him so he could move to go to Daniel. It says, Michael, who's later on called your prince, Michael, this arch, he's an archangel, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And then he says, I remained with the kings of Persia. So, this angel tells Daniel that a, a fallen demonic angel under the direction of Satan, assigned to the realm of Persia, fiercely resisted his coming to Daniel. So here we really get an inside look of what goes on in the spiritual realm. And in two weeks, I'm looking forward to speaking really about our spiritual warfare and the conflict that goes on in the heavenly places. We're going to look more carefully at this, but I just wanted to bring these two together, these two passages, verses 5 through 9 and verses 10 through 14, and ask you this question. The glorious man that Daniel meets in verse number in verses 5 through 9, who is this messenger? Is it a theophany? That is, is this a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, or is it some other angel? Now, there's different views on this. Some say that it could be Gabriel, but I don't believe it's Gabriel because Daniel has already met Gabriel twice. The first time he met Gabriel, he was really like, ah, you know, he was very afraid. The second time he met Gabriel, he wasn't as afraid. He, he, he knew Gabriel. So I don't believe this was Gabriel in verses 5 through 9 because Daniel would not have had this response of, of literally falling on his face in a deep sleep. It couldn't be Michael because Michael was the one who released the second angel to go to Daniel. Or some say it's, it's another angel, a powerful angel. Now, so who is this heavenly messenger in verses 5 
through 9. At first, I have to honestly say, as I put here on the screen, I was honestly unsure of who this was. In fact, we had an Iron Sharpens Iron meeting, and we were discussing this, and I wasn't 100% sure. Now, I did look at my notes in the past, and I had taught in the past that it was Jesus in verses 5 through 9. But I wanted to go back and just really honestly look at this and kind of put aside any preconceived ideas that I had. Who is this mighty messenger in verses 5 through 9? Well, as I've studied more of this passage, I've become more assured and convinced that this is a theophany or a Christophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's perhaps the most clear description of Jesus in the Old Testament that you could even find. It's incredible. We want to look at this this morning. Now, the major objection to this, and I just put it out here, and I, I have it on your notes. If you print out the outline, you'll see that all these words are, so you don't have to write all this down. It's right there in your notes. Could you follow along with me here? I'm just going to read this because there is an objection to verses five through nine being Jesus. And this is the major objection. Now, while there is one big problem in a way with this being Jesus, there's 15 good reasons to say that it is Jesus. So, so I believe we have to go with, with the weight of evidence to say it's Jesus. But this would be the major objection to this angelic messenger in verses 5 through 9 being Christ. And it's this, that the angel described in verses 10 through 14 is inferior to the Lord because he needed the help of Michael. So if this angel speaking to Daniel in verses 10 through 14 is the same angel Daniel sees in verses 5 through 9, it would seem that this is not the Lord. So what I'm saying is this. If it's the same angel, you, you with me on this, in verses 5 through 9, and the same angel continuing to talk to Daniel saying, I needed the help of Michael, it would seem it would not be the Lord. And there's some sense where you feel like there's a continuation and it's the same angel. But I believe, though, the best answer to this is it's not the same angel. It's a different angel in verses 10 through 14. Why? Because there's a break in the action, as I mentioned, in verse 10. So when Daniel falls down as dead in a deep sleep in verses 5 through 9, the Lord leaves. He falls on his face toward the ground. And notice what he even says there in verse 7. He says, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. And then he says in verse 8, therefore, I was left alone and saw the great vision. Talking about what he had just seen, the Lord Jesus. And he alone saw it. The others fled. And then he falls on his face in a deep sleep. And there's like a break in the action. He's snoozing. But then, and behold, a hand touched me. So I believe at that point Jesus left. Another angel comes in and touches Daniel and has that second communication with him in verses 10 through 14. And this is reasonable because, as I mentioned, there's a break between verses 9 and 10, just as there's another break in verse 16 with the and behold statements. And there are a number of interpreting angels that appear to Daniel in these final chapters. So let's look at this heavenly angel in verses 5 through 9, being the pre-incarnate Jesus. And what a, what a blessing that is for Daniel, that Jesus Christ comes to him in a great appearance, in a sense, 
a triumphal entry, a triumphal entry into his presence. So this reminds us how the Lord comes to us. He comes to us individually. I pray that there would be a triumphal entry into your house. The Lord would show himself to you. And you would feel his presence. Now, you're not going to have the same experience that Daniel had. God gives us different experiences. But the same Lord is Lord over all. And he can reveal himself to you today and show himself and speak to your heart. And you can see that he is real and he's alive. The Lord comes in unique ways to his special servants. And he comes in ways that are compatible with their calling. Think of that. How did the Lord come to Abraham? Abraham was a traveler. So how did Jesus come to Abraham as a traveler? Jacob was a schemer, always trying to get over on other people and wrestle, if you will. So how does Jesus come to Jacob as a wrestler? Joshua was a military commander. So how did Jesus come to Joshua as a captain of the Lord's host? Isaiah was a prophet of kingly descent. Probably King Uzziah was in his family, maybe an uncle. And how does the Lord appear to Isaiah as the king of glory? It's amazing. The Lord comes in unique ways to each of his prophets and his servants in ways that are compatible and in line with with their own experience. And he'll come to you that way, too. He'll show himself to you. He'll break through into your life. And this narrative shows us how God is personally involved in our lives, how he wants to speak to your heart, and he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal his glory to you, and he wants to reveal your own fallen humanity so that we would fall on his face, on our face, that we would fall on our face before him and humble ourselves, that we could be even better servants of Jesus. So I want us to see three major reasons And in these three major reasons, there's multiple smaller reasons why we believe this glorious being is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Prince. Three reasons. The first reason is because of the introduction itself. The introduction of this one glorious man. Now, notice the text, please. Look at Daniel chapter 10 and notice in verse number five, he says, Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold a... Certain man. Now, that word certain is the Hebrew word one. Echad. The Lord our God is one Lord. So I like to read it this way. Behold, he lifted up his eyes and he saw what? One glorious man. That makes me think of so many scriptures about Jesus, you know, looking unto Jesus. Behold, lift up your eyes. Look on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Behold this glorious man, a certain man, it says in our King James. Here's a triumphant entry of Jesus, stunning and surprising to Daniel. I'm sure this gave him great excitement and amazement when he sees, behold, this one glorious man. And notice how he is described. If I could skip down in verse 6, it says his body was like a burl. A burl is a gold stone, very translucent and brilliant. And as well as the other descriptions here where it says his appearance was like lightning. So we can imagine this burl stone. You see, in other words, 
the whole body of Jesus is described as this burl stone. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the description of God the Father on his throne. He's described as a sardine and another um there's another stone the sardine and well in revelation now i gotta go there right no it's go revelation chapter four a jasper four verse three he's likened to a jasper and a sardine stone so i thought again how deity is described in this very Unique way, Jesus Christ as a burl, a glorious, gigantic, transparent, shining stone in glory. So here is the God of glory and his brightness shining. Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate glory shining as this burl stone. Wow, what a triumphant entry. And it says his face is like lightning. And that reminds us of what? What does that remind us of? Doesn't that remind you of the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration? And the Bible says that he shone literally like the sun. He was shining. So this vision that that Daniel has here reminds us of Jesus. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, it reminds us of God himself on the throne. And you know, when the disciples were there with the prophet, Elijah, Moses. And remember, what did Peter say? Remember what Peter said? He said, hey, Lord, this is great, man. Let's stay right here. Let's build three booths. Remember, Peter? <laughs> you got to love Peter. Let's build three booths and we can just stay here. We don't want to have to deal with all the problems down, down off this mountain. And Peter was showing that he didn't understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And so God covered them all with a cloud. And he said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Maybe the disciples were thinking, which one? Well, the one that they had just saw shining. But then when the cloud lifted up, what happened? Elijah and Moses were gone. And the Bible says they saw Jesus only. Alone. Jesus alone. And that's who Daniel sees here. Jesus Alone, one shining, glorious man. Behold, one man clothed in linen. This reminds us of the transfiguration. You know, it, it kind of reminds me, not as much, but it made me think of when Pilate introduced Jesus to his accusers. Remember, he questioned him, and he said, I can find no fault in him. And then he brings Jesus out to them, and in John... Gospel, it tells us this. And he said, behold, the man. And I thought of that word, behold. Here he says, behold, one man. And here's Pilate who says, behold, the man. Who's the man? The prophet, the priest, and the king. This is the man that Gabriel had revealed to Jesus Christ, to Daniel. Gabriel revealed to Daniel in the previous chapter, look at chapter 9 and verse number 26. And what does he say that is going to happen to this Messiah in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26? He would be what? He would be cut off, crucified. And we looked at that. And so behold the man. 
Daniel is beholding. What's his, what is he called in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9? He is beholding the one Gabriel had revealed to him was coming. He's called who? The Messiah, the Prince. And Daniel is beholding this Messiah, the Prince, who was going to be cut off for his sins. Can you imagine? Behold the man. That's the introduction, but let's look at the description. The description also reminds us how this is Jesus in its description. And the thing that's amazing here, and I have the verses on the screen from the book of the Revelation, because the comparison, now listen to this, listen. The comparison of who Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 10, and the vision that John has of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, is not similar in just one area. But nearly every point of description in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, is repeated in Revelation chapter 1. That makes me come to the conclusion this can be none other than our Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate glory. So notice the description of this Messiah, the Prince, the kingly priest, is described here. In such detail, we see him as a priest in perfect purity by his garment. It says in verse number five, clothed in linen. And in Revelation, it says he's clothed with a garment down to the foot. Also, those are priestly garments described in Revelation chapter one. And in Daniel chapter 10, where it says clothed in linen, that very same word is used to describe the clothings of the high priests and of the priests in Exodus and Leviticus in the law. So this is priestly garment. Jesus Christ is our great high priest who has passed into the heavens. And so Daniel sees Jesus as a priest of perfect purity. But then he sees him, it says, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. You know what that means, whose loins were girded? You know, you know what the deep interpretation of that is? He had a belt on around his waist. <laughs> That's literally what it means. Now look at Revelation. It says he was girt about the paps. I bet you you talk like that all the time. You know what that means? He had a belt around his waist. <laughs> so where the loins is your waist and he was girt, he was belted. He had a belt on, but in both places, what was that belt in Revelation chapter 113? What is it called? It's called a golden girdle. Now look in Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 10, and he was girded with what? What does it say he was belted with? With what? Daniel chapter 10, verse 5, fine gold. That point of description and similarity is, is so incredible. It has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. But the amazing thing is, is that Daniel sees Jesus before his incarnation, and John sees Jesus after he was crucified as our lamb. Gold. You know what gold is the medal of? Gold is the medal of deity. That Jesus Christ is the son of God. God manifest in the flesh. He's the priest of perfect purity. And secondly, he's the prophet of piercing vision. For it says then, his face is as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as 
lamps of fire. His eyes are like flaming fire. Now, where, where else do we see that description? Who else is described this way in the Bible? Who else? Only one other person. Jesus Christ. By John, the apostle, when he saw him in this amazing vision of Revelation chapter 1, where it says, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, piercing vision. His eyes as a flame of fire. That is always like really brought convincement to my soul that the eyes of the Lord are where? In every place, beholding the evil of the good. The Lord sees where? Down into the depths of your soul and of your conscience. And he knows your motives. And he knows your thoughts. And he knows everything about you. And he still says, come to me, I love you. His eyes are as a flame of fire. And it says it a number of times in the book of Revelation of Jesus. And it even uses this description of Jesus when he's returning in glory. With the sword out of his mouth. Jeannie always loves that description. Jeannie says, keep using that description of Jesus with the sword out of his mouth. He's coming back as a great judge over the nations of the earth. And think of it. What has Daniel been seeing? He's been seeing all the kingdoms of the world. And he's been seeing Medo, uh, Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome. And he's seen Jesus envision coming back to the back and setting up his kingdom. And his eyes are as a flame of fire. He's fierce in his wrath. And then it says that he's the king of perfect justice. And here he's described, again, notice this description. And I would say, just let me just read verse 6 again, because just think of this. We are reading about Jesus in the Old Testament. Before he came. And this is where we say how the Bible is so consistent and how the new interprets the old. Amen? And how here we see Jesus before he even came to earth. But we get a beautiful vision of him in his glorious Person in his pre-incarnate glory. Remember, Jesus even talked in prayer to the Father of the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. So this is, in a sense, something of the pre-incarnate glory of Jesus Christ, where it says, His body was like the burl, which was, again, like a gold, translucent, Glorious stone, his face as the appearance of lightning, his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polish brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. He's the priest of perfect purity, the prophet with piercing vision, the king of perfect judgment. Remember when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and then chief priests sent out soldiers to arrest Jesus. And they said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. 
Remember that? What, the, what happened to those soldiers when Jesus said, I am? Remember? Yeah, they all, it says they all fell backwards. Whoosh. I wonder if that moment, just the, his, something of his outward glory just shone upon them and whoosh. They were just moved back. His feet, it says here. Notice the, now, notice the parallel description of verse 6 and verse 15 of Revelation 1. It says his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass. Revelation 1, his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Now, such similarity of description. In my heart, this has to be Jesus that Daniel sees. And brass, of course, whereas gold is a metal of deity, brass is the metal that represents judgment. Because there was a brass altar in the Old Testament tabernacle, and it was upon that altar that the animals, in a sense, were sacrificed for sins and were bearing, in that sense, the judgment for the sins of the nation. So brass has often been looked at as the metal of judgment. So it says here, again, that his feet was in color to polished brass, and his feet like to fine brass as they were burned in a furnace, because it's his feet that will tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. But then notice this now in Daniel, right at the end of verse 6, it says, And the voice of his words, like the voice of a multitude. The question is, a multitude of what? It doesn't say. It just says the voice of a multitude. So it makes you feel that his voice is loud. His voice has authority. His voice is very powerful. But it's, we don't know it's a, a multitude of what. We don't know what the multitude is. But I believe we see what the multitude is in Revelation chapter 1. What does it say? It's the sound of many waters, a multitude of waters. So the power of water rushing, you know, there's a, there's a sense where it's, it's authority and power that you can't stand in the way of it. If you get in the way of, like, the Niagara Falls, you're not going to be able to stand on the edge of the Niagara Falls and just let the water, oh, that's very refreshing. No, it's going to knock you right off, you know. So there's one sense where the, this is a powerful, but, you know, on the other hand, the many waters and the flowing of waters, there's a power. And there's a beauty to it, though, and there's a comfort to it as at the same time. And there's a refreshment. And so here is the sound. His word, his word is like the voice of many waters, powerful, full of authority, full of comfort, full of strength. So what a vision. Jesus Christ in his glorious brightness. Jesus Christ in his holiness and deity. Jesus Christ with his piercing vision. Jesus Christ and his judgment and wrath, his comfort and authority. And we say, Lord, show yourself. We need, this is the Jesus we need. Amen. This is the Jesus we need to see in our lives. This is the Jesus we want to appear, if you will, to make a glorious appearing on a, a, a triumphal entry, a triumphal entry on this Palm Sunday, a triumphal entry of Jesus into your heart. May he make a triumphal entry whoosh, into your heart today. What a description. 
But the reaction also, thirdly, the introduction of this glorious man, this one man, the description of this glorious man makes me believe it's Jesus. Thirdly, what makes me believe this is Jesus is the reaction and the parallels, two significant parallels in the reaction. First of all, the parallel of Daniel's friends in verse 7 and 8, where, and I'll read the verses again. It says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. So, This reminds me of Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. It's not like 100% parallel, but there are definite interesting parallels to it. Because it says here that Daniel's friends fled and didn't see what Daniel saw. And basically that's what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. And I have the verse here. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, it says, The men which journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice, but seeing no man. They heard somebody speaking, and in other passages in Acts, it says they they didn't actually hear the specific words that were spoken. They just heard a voice, a loud voice, but they couldn't hear the, the specific words. But in both situations, both Daniel and Paul saw a glorious vision of Jesus Christ. And the point is, those who were with them there didn't experience what they experienced. You know, when you meet Jesus, he's so real to you. Remember when you were saved? You thought, wow, look at that. Wow, I got to tell everybody. I didn't know this. I didn't understand. Now, Oh, I'll explain it to other people and they'll know now. I'll just tell everybody and everybody I tell will be saved because how can you not want Jesus? I thought that when I was saved. I thought I was going to tell my family they were all going to accept Jesus and all my friends were going to accept Jesus because my eyes were so open, you know. But when I told them what Jesus had done for me, they all thought I had like gone, like, what happened to Rex? <laughs> they thought I, would, I went absolute nuts. So Paul and Daniel had an experience. You know, when you have an experience with God, People could be right next to you, and they could even see you experience the glory of God, but not understand what you really experienced. Does that make sense? But there was a reaction here, and this reaction makes me believe that who Daniel saw was Jesus Christ, and how similar it is to Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. And then the last thing is how... Daniel himself reacted here and his similarity and reaction to John's response when John saw the vision of Jesus on that Isle of Patmos. And if you look, please, at verse uh, 8, at the end of verse 8, where he says, my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. Daniel's saying, now, I used to be a pretty nice guy until I saw the Lord. <laughs> then my, my good looks, went over. I, I was started twitching. I was like, ah, you know. I don't exactly know what his, his comeliness turned to corruption. He felt like he, you know, we saw God and we couldn't live. He was going to die. Pale. 
This was not a senior moment that Daniel was experiencing here. But can you imagine? I think that's kind of funny. I don't know. I, I just get a kick out of that. Daniel's with my comeliness. He's 85 years old, and he thinks he's good looking still. You know, <laughs> I hope I'm still good looking. When, well, I, I, can you imagine? Corruption. He retained no strength. And I heard the voice of his words. When I heard the voice of the words, I went into a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. And this is so similar to John's experience on the Isle of Patmos. If you go to Revelation, please, I don't have the verse on the screen. If you go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 17, 16 and 17, when John saw the Lord Jesus Christ and his countenance as the sun shining in his strength. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, it says, and when I saw him. I fell at his feet as dead. And notice there it says, and he laid his right hand upon me. When Daniel fell, it says a hand, but not his hand. Ah, interesting. But nevertheless, you know, when you get in the presence of God and you experience his love and his glory, he changes us. He wants to change us. He wants us to see how mighty and powerful his love is. And he wants to help us see our own humanity, our own frailty, our own weaknesses in this life so that we will trust him. You know, as I was driving in to to church this morning, I saw a car that reminded me of one of our former members. And... Well, I'll tell you their names. I, I think I can do that. Tony and Judy Senath. I don't know if you guys remember Tony and Judy, but back in the day when we had home fellowship groups, remember when we had home fellowship groups, Debbie and I would take Rachel and Brian and Daniel over to their house every other Wednesday, and they would feed us. And they would feed us. Suresh, you came. You went there, right? And Ashok and Liz and Suresh and Ambika would come. And didn't we have a great time? fellowship we would have a bible study we were studying hebrews at that time i think and hebrews 11 and other places but we'd had such a precious time there with tony and judy and they were such beautiful people and judy she's the best a beautiful woman right i mean she was just a beautiful person inside and out and she always looked younger than her her age you know she looked very youthful right right and But then she got sick, and Judy eventually succumbed to cancer. And I'm thinking about all this as I'm driving in to to church this morning. And I I was just getting so emotional thinking about the times that we had with Tony and Judy and with others in that Bible study. And now how Judy then, in all of her youthful appearance, you know, got a disease of cancer. And now has been with the Lord. How long has it been since she passed away, brother? What? How many? 15 years? That shows you how fast. It's just amazing how fast time goes. And that was the whole point of why I was thinking about all this. And it was quite emotional to me. That fast time just like flies. How much we need Jesus. How we need Jesus to break into our lives how we need to experience Jesus Christ in a personal way and how we need a triumphal entry 
of Jesus and fall at his feet as dead. I didn't know I had the verse there. I didn't lie. I just forgot. (laughs) Because we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. He is passed into the heavens. Hold fast your profession. Because this life is going to be over that fast. And only what we've done for Christ will matter. All that will matter is that we know Jesus Christ and that we're born again. And all that will matter is if that we have given our lives and lived our lives for him at that moment. So it is good for us to have these experiences. Go to God and let there be a triumphal entry of Jesus into your life so that you cry out like Paul, Oh Lord, I am vile. As, as Job cried out, I am vile. Or as Peter cried out, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. Or as Daniel falls at his feet in a deep sleep. Or as John falls at his feet as dead. Or as Paul fell at his feet on the Damascus road and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Let's stand together as we pray today.